When you hear someone talk about living the good life, what is it that you think about? Like what comes to mind when you hear about living the good life? Now, I don't know, you might think of like happiness. You might think of like the good life being like financial security. Maybe you think of the good life as like being able to take lots of vacation, vacations to tropical beaches and, you know, just like, oh man, that's the good life. Maybe you just think about, man, just being like healthy and, and uh, you know, feeling good in my body. That's, that's the good life. But I want to ask you, I, wanna, I just want to pose something to you and, and it's really, what if God's vision of living the good life doesn't really have to do with those things. Now, not that he's opposed to them. Not that he's opposed to them, because I think God would want all of us to have some of those kind of blessings kind of poured out upon us. But I believe that God's vision for his people living the good life may be quite different than what the world thinks about the good life looking like or feeling like. In fact, there's a lot of people who have those kinds of things in their lives and stories. Lots of vacations, you know, lots of extra money to throw around, all that kind of stuff. But they're miserable. They're filled with anxiety. They're filled with depression. They're like, they're really not living a good life the way that Jesus would want them to live. And so what does it mean to live the good life as people who are followers of Jesus? So I want to take you back to a scripture we looked at the last time I spoke three weeks ago. It's the first two verses of Titus chapter 3. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing to his young friend Titus and says this, says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is, come on, help me out. You got to help me more than that. I know it's up on the screen, okay? To be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. Now, a few weeks ago, I brought the first part of this little mini-series, a three-part series on Christian conduct. And I called it Christian Conduct 2.0 because we surprisingly skipped over verse one entirely and went just to verse number two and talked about don't slander, be considerate. What does that look like? What, is, what does God expect for Christian conduct? What should our behavior be like? If you missed that message, I would really encourage you to go on our YouTube channel or go over to our, our church website, sm4.org. You're gonna find our podcast. You can catch up with that. But then... I'm also this week not preaching Christian Conduct 1.0. That's going to be next week when we're dealing with why would God, why would it matter to God that we're like obedient, like to the government, to our authorities? What does that even look like? And do we always have to do that? And we're going to be diving into that next week. Okay, that's Christian Conduct 
1.0. But today, we're in the middle. This is Christian Content 1.5 because we are looking at this very important concept that really ties verse 1 and verse 2 together. And this is where Paul says, be ready to do whatever is good. Be ready. Church, are you ready? Are you ready? Come on, online. Are you ready? Are you ready to explore what this means? And, and I'll tell you, I, when, I, when I first like read these verses, I, I almost imagined like, come on, Paul, don't you have something better than that? Because it, it almost sounds like a throwaway line. You know, like, do good. Just be little Christian do-gooders. Get out there and be good. Stop doing those bad things. You need to remember, do good. Right? And it's like, come on, Paul, is this like some like little throwaway Christianese kind of a line? You know, like, y'all should be doing a little bit better. Do good. Don't do bad. But you know what? As I really contemplated what Paul was saying, and when he says remind people, we need to be reminded of this important topic of doing good. And as I, as I began to explore this in scripture, one, I found, and this is a homework assignment for y'all, okay? In the three short chapters written in the book of Titus, do you know that Paul mentions doing good eight times? This is only one of them. This is only one of the, the, the places where Paul talks to Titus about doing good. Eight times in three chapters. That's pretty important. But as I began to expand my search on this concept of doing good, what I found is that in the New Testament, this idea of doing good is actually like woven in to the, to the idea Jesus talked about it, Paul talked about it, Peter talked about it, James talked about it. It is all through the New Testament. And what I discovered is that this idea about doing good, being people who have been transformed by Jesus into people who are now doing good is actually central to what it looks like to be people who follow Jesus. So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, this idea 1.5 of what it means for our lives to look like, our conduct, our behavior, the choices, our actions of what it looks like of people whose lives have been impacted by Jesus. So I want you to know that what scripture tells us is that we were actually made for this. We were made for this. In another book, Paul writes and he says this in Ephesians 2 verse 10, Paul says this, for we, I'm looking at all of you, for you are God's masterpiece. Now, awesome. You, Brie, are God's masterpiece. Your sister is too. Got a reminder of that sometimes. You are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus. Why? To do good. What? I mean, like, 
right here we're told, we're God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good. To do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So that means like when God was thinking of all of history, he said, I need someone just like Vivian. So I'm going to like create a Vivian. And I want her to know that I'm creating her this masterpiece, this wonderful work, perfect in order to do good. And I have actually planned out the kind of good that I think that Vivian is going to be able to do and accomplish in her lifetime. That that guy, Tim, you know, they call this guy Pastor Tim or whatever. But it's like, Tim isn't going to be able to accomplish the things that Vivian's going to be able to do. The good that Tim can do is not the good that Vivian can do. So God wanted a Vivian and a Roxanne and a Mike, right? I mean, and a Thomas. Thomas, talking to you, because you are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good, to do good. You were made for this. Can you like look at somebody in the eyeball right now, turn to somebody and say, I was made for this. Come on, raise your voice, and if you're online, Listening wherever, watching wherever, you can like, if you don't have something to see, you just write it out on a piece of paper. I was made for this, to do good. But here's something else that we see in scripture. Not only were you made for it, you were saved for it. Not only were you made for it, you were saved for it. One of the other places in Titus, I'm helping you with your homework now. Okay, okay, because one of the other places in Titus where Paul mentions this idea of doing good is in chapter 2, verse 14. And this is what Paul says there. He says, he, meaning Jesus, gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, right? Last week, Pastor Lisa talked about what? Freedom. We are free in Jesus, and that's echoed right here. Jesus gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people totally committed to doing good. What? I mean, not only were you made for this, you were saved for this. Part of the reason that Jesus came, went to the cross for you and for me, is so that we could, instead of being totally committed to whatever, whatever, you know, like, what were you, what did you used to be committed to? Committed to yourself, committed to your interests, your whatevers. Maybe some people were committed to doing bad. I've met a few people, I think they were committed totally committed to doing bad. Mike's like, yeah, that's me. Just talk to me about my story. I mean, people are just committed to following their own lusts, filled with hate, totally committed to the wrong things. But Jesus says, not only were you made for this, you were saved for this. 
so that you can be totally committed to doing good deeds. Jesus gave his life so we could live the good life by being totally committed to doing good. But I want you to notice, this is not how we earn our salvation. We're able to do good deeds because of our salvation. And that is an entirely different thing because there are many people who have this wrong idea about God and even like heaven and how we get there because they think that God uses some kind of like cosmic math equation, you know, that is like, okay, if you do more good things than bad things, and I'm keeping count, well, if you do more good than bad, then I'm going to have to let you into heaven. And people actually think that, that if at the totality of their life, if they've done more good things than bad things that God somehow has to let them into heaven. That is not what scripture tells us. Not at all. In fact, it's in Ephesians chapter two where we were just reading a minute ago about being God's masterpiece. If you keep reading in that section, what you find is it says that we were saved not because of any good works that we do. It says that we are saved by grace. Grace, undeserved, like none of us deserved Jesus going to the cross, but he did it anyway because of his love for us, because he wanted to set us free. Why? So that we could be the people we were created to be. So that we could be people, rather than being totally committed to whatever, we could now be people who are totally committed to doing good. You see this idea when Paul said, hey, remind people to be ready, to be ready to do good, that this is not some throwaway little idea. This is like central to us understanding who God created us to be and why he even went to the cross to save us, all right? So I was made for this and I was saved for this. But I need to like put in a little parenthetical thought right here because some could like feel like, okay, is like Pastor Tim trying to guilt trip me into like doing more. Okay, like I know Kaylin was just up here, Pastor Kaylin talking about Safari Kids Ministry and come on now, we wanna all get involved, don't we, right? You know, let's bless our kids. Well, yes, we do. But let me tell you that this idea of doing good is not some kind of guilt trip about doing more. This is about not doing more, but it's about doing life differently. Where once before Jesus, I lived for whatever. Now it's like, no, now I'm living for him. And because he has done good to me, I now get the opportunity to extend that good by my actions. I get to extend God. Because he came and in grace saved me, doing good now has to do with extending grace into other places where grace is needed. Where is God's good needed? 
Where is God's grace needed? That's where I'm going to begin to do good. In fact, you may remember that Jesus taught us to pray a certain prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. In that prayer, you know, I love that that what Jesus taught his disciples, like you and me, to pray is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can I suggest to you that whenever we do good, that what we were created for, what we were saved for, whenever we do good, what we're doing is we're bringing heaven, something of heaven's beauty, wholeness, something of heaven's goodness. And we're bringing that into an earthly situation that needs it. Because, because God's giving us eyes to see things that are broken around us. Things that don't look like heaven at all because there is pain, there is hurt, there's hate. There's discouragement. There's all these things that are, well, they're more hellish than heavenish. And God brings those things to our attention in the lives of our friends, in the lives of our family, in the lives of those in our church or in our community, in our neighborhood. And God begins to highlight things that are just out of sorts according to heaven. There's no goodness there. And so God says, I I have created you for this, to step into those places that are lacking heaven's touch because I want to show people something of my beauty, something of my glory, something of what it feels like when heaven shows up. And so I put you there to do good to bring my goodness and my grace, something of my wholeness, something of my beauty, something of my touch, but I'm gonna use you to do it. So would you get out there, my people, and do good? (laughs) That's not Pastor Tim talking, that's that's Jesus speaking to each one of us about our conduct, how we live our lives. And he's inviting us into this process of like just doing good, doing good being totally committed to it. I've been thinking over the past days about people that I know that do good. People that I've seen doing good. And as I look around this room, I I mean, I could probably talk about 90% of you because I've watched you do good. Sister Tommy, feeding people, just doing good, right? I've mentioned this before, it was a long time ago. One of the ways that I see my wife do good and she does so much good is that when we moved to Santa Maria, uh, she began to notice that, man, when we go to the grocery store or shopping places, you know, it's like, man, everybody leaves their shopping carts like everywhere here. Like at a different level than other, and we've lived several different places. And you know what? It's kind of like we could think of that as like, oh, well, that's just, you know, we, we pay that store. They got to pay somebody to come take my shopping cart. Really? Is that what heaven looks like? 
Or is there something that actually, that those shopping carts that are just kind of piled up and kind of look messy and they're, you know, people not caring for one another and maybe even taking a little bit of responsibility uh, of like making it right? So it's just kind of chaotic, right? Can't get into that parking place because darn it, somebody left their shopping cart right in the middle of that parking place. You know what Kelly does? She does good. When she pulls into a parking place, she is like, on the lookout for random shopping carts that were left in inappropriate places. And she'll gather them. Sometimes she'll have two or three. And she's like, what, what does she do? And she just goes and just puts them into the appropriate place. It's just a way of doing good. Now, I think of someone like my friend Lowell, who for years has cared for others. Many people that you'll never meet, people that I'll never meet, people that have been shut-ins, people that have been in care facilities where he has gone and talked with them and prayed with them and helped them succeed in that moment, just doing good. I think of a lady who is, well, she's bilingual, but you probably need to come to our second service, our Spanish service, to get to know her well. Her name is Gloria Castellanos. And Gloria, for decades had this vision of going to Mexico. And so she, along with her friend Dolores, made multiple trips, multiple trips to Mexico, not to sip mojitos on the beach, okay? But you know what they did is they went and they served people, first through the medical profession, because both of them had some medical expertise. But they also then began going into a small village where they were teaching women how to sew and actually brought sewing machines to them to give them a trade and a way to make an income. And actually, you know, when you think about the beauty of that, that those gifts, Gloria and Dolores doing good, could... You know, when you just play that out a few years and you just see how that could have this like lift, this lift for generations. Because if there's more, a little bit more money, that can mean a little bit more opportunity, like for education for our kids. It could mean that instead of spending eight hours a week doing laundry, because a lot of places in kind of third world type environments, you know, that's a big, big deal. So much time just goes into just like keeping ourselves clean. But what if they were able to afford like a little communal, you know, washer, washing machine? The time that gets freed up for that is able then to be put into things like education or helping our kids or doing something else that would do good in our community. And after a while, you see this actual lift that that little village that little Pueblo begins to look a little bit more like heaven because of what Gloria and Dolores poured into that just by doing good. And also, if you kind of think that, again, that, man, is he just trying to guilt us into, like, doing more? And I'm like, you know, no, 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 no. This is what Jesus said. Jesus' words were, come to me if you're weary. Come to me if you're burdened. Because I have come to give you rest. And then he said these beautiful words. Take my yoke upon you. Because what you're going to discover is that the burden that I give you 
is one that fits. It's not meant to burn us out. It's not meant to just like crack God's cracking the whip or Pastor Tim's cracking the whip. You need to do more. No, it's not about doing more. It's about doing life differently. Having these spiritual eyes to see where things may be a bit broken, where they may be filled with hurt, where they may just be a little chaotic. And we discover that, wow, God actually designed me to step into, that he created me for this. And he did. He gave each one of us unique gifts, talents, abilities, passions. And so here's my encouragement to you. Just get out there and be you. Just get out there and have fun being you, how God created you. And just live with eyes wide open. About God, how might you be calling me in this particular place to just do good? Some of us is right in our home. We need to start there. But then it kind of spills out into our neighborhood. God, where in my neighborhood would you call me to do good? Do I have a neighbor who's needy? And I don't mean like, oh man, that bird's needy. They're just a bottomless pit. I'm just, I'm like, I have a need. That somehow it's like, you know what? I could help meet that need. What about somebody at work? Those of you that are in school, I know summer break, but think about your friends at school. Is there someone that might have a particular need? And God's reminding you of that person. I don't know what that need may be, but God's gonna show you. And at school, God is calling you to do good. To do good. Maybe in our church family. Maybe it does have to do with safari kids. Maybe God's giving you a vision to start a new ministry. Maybe God's just calling you to just like step up and like, you know what? If I'm part of this church family, God's calling me to do good here. And I would say, "Mm mm-hmm. That sounds about right. Because that's how families are meant to work together, right? To do good together. Yeah? Does it make sense? You catching it? You catching what I'm throwing? Be ready to do good. I want to finish this morning just with three things. I told you that like in the New Testament, dozens and dozens of places it talks about this idea of doing good. But I just want to like leave you with these three thoughts of what it looks like uh, for people who are doing, doing good. And then you can do more of your own research as part of your homework, all right? As you read through the three short chapters of Titus with a highlighter. Oh, look, he used the word good again, all right? But I want to talk to you about three things that I believe are biblical truths about doing good. You ready? Okay, first thing, doing good is always going to cost you something. It's always going to cost you something to do good. You'll have to set aside something else in order to do this. This is what I used to do. This is how I normally would live. This is how I normally would look look at life. But I got to set that aside in order, and I'm going to have to pay a price to do this thing. If Kelly is out there 
picking up shopping carts and putting, putting them into their spot, it costs her a few minutes of time. And it may cost her somebody looking at her going, what in the heck is that blonde lady doing over there? I mean, don't, don't we pay somebody to do that? It's like, there may be a little bit of awkwardness. I don't know. She doesn't seem very awkward doing it. But I mean, there's a little bit of a price to pay. If it was Lowell taking time to go and visit people who are shut-ins, you know what? It took him some time, a little bit of gas money. Maybe he bought somebody lunch. He did those sort of things. It's like, oh, yeah, there's a little bit of a cost associated with that. I was thinking about the Good Samaritan. Story Jesus told. Do you notice what Jesus called that Samaritan or how we refer to that Samaritan? It is the, come on, help me out now. He is the good Samaritan. Why do we call him the good Samaritan? It's because he did good. He saw something that looked a whole lot more hellish than heavenish. I like that word heavenish. I think it's, we need to start using that as in some sort of an adjective or I don't know what that is. Hunter will tell me later. What's, Hunter, what, what type of word is hellish? What, what part? It's an adjective. Okay, I was correct. It's an adjective. So then heavenish would also be an adjective. All right. The Good Samaritan came across someone whose life had been torn apart. Right, says robbers fell upon this person, beat him up, left him for dead, stripped him of all of his stuff. And there's this guy laying by the side of the road. And you probably have heard this story before, but there's a couple of religious people who come along. One guy comes along, kind of on his way to church, and is like, I don't got time for you. I don't have time for this situation, and moves on. Wow. We don't call that person good. We would say that person is selfish. That person is self-motivated. That person really was kind of bad, a little more hellish than heavenish. And there was a second religious person that came along, and people are like hearing the story that Jesus was telling, go, oh, well, certainly the second religious person would help. Now, same scenario. Keeps walking past this guy who's like bleeding and messed up and had been all his stuff stolen. But then the good, the good Samaritan comes along, someone who was of a different culture. And Jesus knew that he was telling this story very particularly because the Samaritans and the Jews, they didn't get along at all. Jews hated the Samaritans. And yet Jesus chose to use a Samaritan in his story to show you that, you know what, anybody, anyone touched by the Spirit of God is going to be able to do something that is good and will love their neighbor. But you know what? It was a bit costly to the good Samaritan. It cost him something. It cost him time, talent, and treasure. It says in that story that he stopped. In fact, not only did he stop, okay, and then he bound up his wounds using some talents that he had. Okay, I know how to help this guy a little bit. You know, I'm gonna pour some oil on these wounds and bind them up, so he used some talent that he had. But it took time. In fact, it says that he went out of his way and he took him to basically like a little hotel, right? An inn. 
And then he stayed with him. Basically, when you read the story, it's like the guy took a day and a half out of his own schedule and agenda. So that cost him something. Cost him his time. Like I said, it cost him a bit of his talent and it also cost him a bit of treasure because out of his own pocket, he takes money and he hands it to the innkeeper saying, hey, this is gonna, I think, cover the costs of him staying here, but next time I come by, I will pay whatever it costs for you to like continue to care for him. I believe that doing good is always going to cost us something. But I I want you to see these two other things. The second thing is that it will always, doing good will always bring glory to Jesus. It will always bring glory to Jesus. And I think this is kind of what sets good works apart from just like, I don't know, maybe, can't anybody, you don't even have to be a Christian to do something good, right? No, that's true. But the good works that we read about in the New Testament are ones that always somehow reflect glory back to Jesus. Jesus himself talked about this in Matthew chapter five. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said this, he said, let your good deeds, come on everybody, let your good deeds shine out. I love that, for all to see, why? so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. And I could take you to several other examples as well where our good deeds actually point glory back to Jesus. So it's one of the things that helps us know, is this a good deed or is this just a me thing? Because when you do it, is it meant to like make you look good? Are you doing this for your own glory? Are you doing this to say, hey, everybody look at me. I'm the do-gooder. Woo-hoo. Or are you allowing Jesus to shine through you? Not only will good deeds always cost you something, but they're always going to like reflect glory to Jesus when you do them. Then here's the third and the last thing I want to leave you with, and it's a beautiful reminder. And that, that is that doing good always receives God's reward. God's reward accompanies our good deeds. Our doing good is blessed by the Lord. Uh, Paul writes again to another church. This time it's in Galatia. And he writes to the Galatians in chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And he says this. So let's not get tired of doing what is... Come on, everybody. You got to be with me. Doing what is... Come on, pickles from the back row, doing what is good. good. (laughs) Don't get tired of doing good, folks. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, listen to this, highlight it. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, whenever we have the opportunity, whenever we're that good Samaritan or just that Samaritan walking down the road and we see a need and it's like, oh man, am I gonna be more hellish here? Like those religious people keep walking or am I gonna be a little more heavenish? We choose good. We choose to do good. 
Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, Paul writes, we should do good to everyone. Uh, What? Yeah, to everyone. Not only to your family, not only to your church family, not only to the people you like, but to everyone. There's people who are living life a little different than you, who believe differently than you, who express their values and their life choices differently than you. To everyone. To everyone. Especially to those in the family of faith. Meaning basically start here. Like start learning to do good right in your church family, right in your home, right to other people of faith. But don't stop there because this is meant for everyone. That we would do good. Let's pray. Jesus, my prayer today is that you would unlock in your people a new vision for how to live life. The Lord, that each one of us, myself included, would realize, Lord, that you created me and you saved me for doing good. And that, God, that I need this new readiness to step into a life of my choices no longer kind of reflecting just how I want to live and things that would benefit me. But, God, that you would use me to bring heaven to places that don't look like heaven at all at this moment. Lord, I know that some of us could get all tripped up because we begin thinking of like, oh, people that do good, they're like, isn't that like Mother Teresa? Like people that do have done extraordinary good. And Lord, we need your reminder today to just focus on being ordinary but that I can be me, ordinary me, doing good. I don't need to worry about doing extraordinary good. I just need to continually do ordinary good and then watch what you'll do with the good that's been done. Lord, I need, we need, Lord, to stop underestimating what you can do with the good that we do. But Lord, that you would, show up with that promised blessing and reward. And Lord, that where we begin to do good, to serve others, to bring heaven to earth, that Jesus, that you will begin to just add blessing to that. You would bring your fruitfulness to that. So God, I pray today that you just begin to unlock vision of what it would look like in our circumstances to do good. God, I pray that you would give each one here a new glimpse of a way of living that is going to unlock something of your goodness, Lord, in their situations, in their homes, in their neighborhoods, in their place of work, at their school, even in our church. In Jesus' name, give us new vision for doing good. In your name, Jesus. In your name. Hey, if there's anyone here that hasn't received of the ultimate good, you haven't received like of the goodness that Jesus has made available for you because he did go to the cross 
to bring salvation, to bring freedom to you. If you have not experienced that, or if you're like, man, I need a touch from Jesus, that we want to be available to talk with you, to pray with you, to encourage you today. So do not leave here today without something of God's touch on your life and in your story. And if you're online, I would just encourage you, if you need help, if you need prayer, I encourage you just to go over to our website, sm4.org. You're going to find that there's a contact page and you can just drop us a note and say, hey, would you pray for me? This is what I'm facing. This is what Maybe I'm even envisioning or seeing for doing good in my circumstance because we'd love to hear. What is God speaking to you about doing good? Church family, you are loved. Thank you for being a part of this story. And I, I just, I'm excited to hear what God stirs in your heart for doing good. We're gonna see you back here next week for Christian Conduct 1.0. Do not miss it. I think you're gonna be interested in hearing about what God has to say. Your love, church. We'll see you soon.